Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Sorry I've been a bit late. I've been doing quite a bit of moving around and traveling as of late over land and sea and trying to alternate between the rest of it in the midst of trying to find another career to see if I can at least hover around something like that long term. But at least nowadays I'm able to go through and catch up on a handful of the shows and the transitioning between the winter and the spring anime season to at least go through and figure out the toughest question and that comes around every three months, which is exactly what am I going to watch in the midst of all this. But before we dive into those, I think I'll just go through and jump over a handful of uh, news pieces that have popped up over the past two and a half weeks, considering that Bochi the Rock is going to be getting a spin-off manga, which is not necessarily surprising considering how successful it's been over the past and the amount of stories that have been overwhelming the mangaka as of late. But to top it all off, they're going to be bringing in a new official spin-off manga with a mysterious silhouette character that is popping up over the cover of their promotional materials. But, as everybody points out, it has been a why. It is the cheap sake drinker where it's just... I don't necessarily think sad and drawn out is probably a way to describe somebody who drinks cheap sake out of a juice box. But, to be fair, everybody has their own vices and you gotta learn how to save money somehow. But, at this point, we don't know when it's going to be released. Only that it has been announced and they're going to be popping it up at some point in the future. So, we'll just kind of see how that goes. I was also kind of curious to see where exactly KyoAni was going to be taking uh, Sound Euphonium's next adaptations in the future, but it seems like they are going to be doing another film, which in this case is going to be Hibike Euphonium Ensemble Contest, which is going to be their fourth film coming out on August 4th. Since although I've loved every aspect about this series, it has definitely been few and far between with the amount of content that has come out with it over the past five years. And to be fair, I was kind of curious to see how much of the story was left to see if they would have more than enough to cover inside of a 12 to 13 episode anime, or if they were going to be moving forward with after the third movie that they ended up putting out, where, I mean, the first two movies were just compilation films, so the third film in of itself was just a sequel to the two seasons of anime that we ended up getting. But the fact that they're going to be moving forward with just doing another film is making me curious to see. It's like, okay, so at that point, they are probably going to be having one more film after this one's over to have two anime series concurrently leading into a trilogy of films. But regardless, so in this case, I'm just going to have to see and wait how everybody else reacts inside of Japan once this ends up being released in August. And if I would... Uh, it's a good question. I would say if they really jumped on top of it, then they could probably get this out to the West before the year is over. But if not, at the very latest, it's going to be coming out in January of next year. So at least we'll have the opportunity to wait on that. Now, I'm not really too interested in going to see this movie outside of taking my six-year-old cousin with me to have it to go through, considering that he's a huge Mario fan. But seeing how ridiculously successful the new Super Mario Brothers movie is, is was definitely something that was beyond my expectations. It is now the highest grossing weekend for an animated film worldwide period. And that was held previously by Frozen 2, but, I mean, over its first weekend, considering that worldwide it made an estimated $378 million at the box office. And it is, understandably, it is a Mario movie. It is something that is universally distributed and accepted across the world, but for it to be an animated movie, disregarding the live action that came out way back when, the fact that this kind of success is what they were able to accomplish with this kind of a property. Still, I'm kind of glad that something like Mario lives up to its name to at least have that kind of universal 
appeal. And once again, I'm still glad to see that whenever it comes to video game adaptations, that the villain is the one that is bringing everybody into it, creating the most energy and the most passion between that and, say, Sonic. So when this inevitably comes out on Netflix or a streaming service, maybe I'll go through and have the opportunity to crack open some beers with a couple of friends and see how it goes in that kind of time, but unless I don't end up getting to see it with my cousin. But you know what? Only time will tell. I'm still glad to see that it was able to at least reach that amount of success in the midst of all of it. And like I'm going to be pointing out later, I am definitely behind on Star Wars content, even though I just recently finished Andor and caught up to that, because it has been ages since that series is finished, and I can still guarantee that its quality is still something that should be shouted from the rooftops and still be something that should be constantly recommended to nearly everybody that you see, regardless of the fact that it's a Star Wars property or not, because Andor was phenomenal, but in terms of animated stuff that we're going to be getting uh, quite recently, we ended up finally getting an animated trailer for the second volume of Star Wars Visions, and so now this isn't going to be just exclusively to Japanese animation studios that are going to be creating this season, but a worldwide opportunity for any studio to go through and give their 20 cents on what this kind of franchise has been able to inspire them. So, as it does, may the 4th be with you when this ends up coming out on, you know, the said date as it goes. I keep kind of forgetting that there is still a whole day attributed to that, but considering the worldwide phenomena that Star Wars is, especially with the amount of inspiration that it's given to both French and Japanese media, and how Japanese has consistently gone back and forth with inspiring it in this cycle of inspiration, well, only time will tell to see what we'll be able to find inside of this new opportunity to create something inside of the Star Wars universe. And I guess like a lot of other people, I was kind of confused in the sense that I was looking last week to uh, get tickets for Suzume when it ended up coming out, but Crunchyroll was very adamant about the fact that it's like, oh, you know, it's going to be coming out worldwide, or at least in, with the North American release, um, on April 14th. And it started jumping around and popping into theaters on the 13th, just like right in the beginning of the morning. I normally have seen pieces where an incredibly popular film is slated to say, hey, we're going to be released on this date, but there will be a couple of times, like say at a 7 p.m. or a 9 p.m. screening the day before, then at least you'll have that opportunity to go through and see it depending on how many theaters are going to be showing it. But I mean, sure, all right. April 13th works for me as well. So I ended up going to see it with a buddy of mine back on the 13th, and I'm probably going to put out an episode for it uh, next week or so, just to at least keep it up, but I would say it is a perfectly serviceable film. It's something that is right in the middle of Makoto Shinkai's entire library of his films, depending on through the rest of it, where it was not something that made me either bored or was laughing at it at times when like, say, in the case of Weathering With You, but it actually had a lot of good heart and comedy going around the script, especially with a lot of the interactions that the characters end up having, with all the chaos and the craziness that was going through in the midst of their lives. But it's not something that I believe is going to be standing the test of time and going through as a solid concrete recommendation for anybody who's looking to read up more about Makoto Shinkai. A lot of people are saying he's the next Miyazaki, there's going to be nobody that touches him. When people exaggerate the status of somebody like like say the next Miyazaki for me what that means is that oh Makoto Shinkai is going to be the next face of Japanese animation for people who don't really watch a lot of anime where it's just something that is a worldwide 
renowned and successful name that people can essentially go and recommend to anybody that hasn't necessarily jumped into or watched any anime, but it is also something that it's like, okay, so who is currently the most successful and the most popular modern-day uh, like anime director, whether it's through film or television? It's like, okay, well, then definitely Makoto Shinkai. And to top that all off, it has basically made 14.6 billion yen over the course of its release over the past week and a bit, which translates to about 107 million U.S. on its opening weekend. And so it's already been the highest-grossing anime film week of China. It's already done that in South Korea. It's still making rounds, and it is very easily and quickly going to pass Weathering with You's box office numbers over the next coming weeks. So it's still interesting... Well, not interesting, but it's nice to see that Makoto Shinkai is still able to translate that success continually... Uh, in a relatively quick turnaround, considering that it takes him about three and a half years in between the rest of his works to put out a new film, which still is more than enough time to create something like that, but the only negative thing I can say about it is that, like the majority of his works, he normally starts copying and reusing a lot of the same ideas he had in his previous films. But I will continue to talk about that at a later episode and try to give my full feelings on how I was able to place Suzume in the middle of his catalog. But for now, we got a lot of anime to talk about. And I, and I say a lot, it was just that in the transition between winter and spring, winter was a really weird season where it's just, there's always something to say about how the previous season of anime acts as a springboard or a detriment to whatever season is going to be coming after it, considering that fall of 2022 was so massive. Not only the amount of shows that were coming out, but in the major sequels, major productions, all of these projects that were going through and had been waiting to be seen and waiting to be talked about and seen and heard over the course of the past couple of years. And since COVID was going through and making a mess of all these productions through 2020 and 2021. Finally, at the end of 22, they were able to go and condense all of these major releases into just one slot of a season. And fall was ridiculously massive in that same vein. But seeing winter 2023 afterwards, it is probably the biggest drop-off of any major talking points through any major series and major discussions in between any other uh, seasons of anime, period. It was crazy where it's, it's not that there weren't as many good shows, it's just that there was so little conversation to be had in the midst of this unless you had a couple of shows that were getting new seasons. So I guess the major ones that I would talk about that I didn't watch uh, for winter 2023 was that I'm I didn't watch the new Tokyo Revengers season, I probably never will, because it's not a series that I'm necessarily interested in, and still, the success that it finds inside of Japan and China is so far beyond me that I can't even begin to describe it. Uh, Inspector Season 2 is also something that I didn't watch, where it's just, I was so turned off by the first season that I couldn't go through and finish it by the time they ended up shitposting online, and that's where I dropped it in the first season, where people are now like, oh yeah, no, but the second season actually turns into something that is legitimately good, and inspiring, and engaging, and, and contemplative, it's just... I have so much else on my backlog that it's like, I'll take your word for it, but I'm very doubtful in the impression that I'm ever going to come back to this series. So I will let everybody else enjoy it, but it's very unlikely that I'm going to have her jump back into its shoes. Um, kind of the same thing with uh, 
is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon the second half of season four i believe where it's just i was so caught up in what it was as something that wasn't necessarily a lackluster isekai because i haven't seen any of it that's that's the thing it was just such a quote-unquote lapping stock where it was just a trash show that a lot of people enjoyed where there were still bits and pieces that brought people back into it and still gave it a fan base that was very passionate about it to keep it alive for as long as it did and so now they're saying four seasons in that it is the best that it's ever been and that it is legitimately building on the world building <laughs> yeah that's that's a phenomenal piece to set up and still working on a lot of its ideas and bringing legitimate conflict and stakes to a lot of the characters that are going through and trying to evolve and through the rest of it so where it began as that kind of a meme and not necessarily a laughing stock of isekai but something that was mainly put in to either fill out something or line up on somebody's fetish or create new fetishes in the form of one single ribbon apparently now it is something that is worth your time and it's in the same vein where, okay, I'll take your word for it, I will put it way, way, way back, and it's very unlikely that I'm ever going to give it a shot until they finally complete the story, but I don't know, that was one of the biggest surprises that I heard, where it's just, no, it is very much not in the same vein of trashy, turn your brain off, something that is going to at least fill in your time and activate your neurons, but it's something that has built its world into a legitimate contender as sorry as i said before wasn't an isekai but a one of the contenders for one of the better modern fantasy worlds that has been made in the past 10 years so sure good on you for sticking it all out and being passionate about the things you care about but uh, it's going to be very difficult for me to reciprocate um outside of that still didn't watch nagatoro season two because for better or worse i'm caught up in the manga and it was not and the anime didn't necessarily feel like it was something that I would need to jump into because I've already seen the story and it's not really anything that an adaptation could elevate, so it's just totally fine. Uh, Bungo Stray Dog Season 4, uh, same deal, good on you for sticking with it, but it's also going to be something that I'm not going to be watching for a while, especially until the show actually concludes itself. And then the one sequel for something that I have seen the first season of, but not the second, was Sarune, which is definitely something that I should be putting a little more priority on, considering that it is done by Kyoto Animation. It's just that Sarune was fine when I watched it, where it looked beautiful, as many Kyoto Animation productions do, but it was not something that resonated with me too much to get me truly invested in any of the characters that they brought in through the first season. But considering that I can't necessarily leave something unfinished, I know that at some point in time I'm going to have to jump back and see where exactly it goes, considering I don't know if it is an adaptation, which it probably is through the point where I guess they haven't completed the story, but when they do, I will jump back to it. And then the major three that weren't sequels, but were either adaptations or wholly original, I mean, the adaptations were Tomo-chan. It was the most popular show, at least from uh, my not my anime list, but from uh, Reddit statistics that it was the most popular. And it was the same deal as Nagatoro, where I've read the entire thing, and I don't necessarily know what it can do to add to it through the rest of it. Although, that was probably because I was very turned off by the first two episodes, and I thought, ah, I don't really need to prioritize this. I can definitely go and watch something else. But apparently, considering as most comedies do, when they actually ended up getting the full ensemble cast together, they started getting much better jokes, much better engagement, and much better scenarios to actually build up on it. And it's like, yeah, no, it's 
there was a lot of funny stuff in Tomo. It was there was a reason why I stuck around with it for so long and completed it all the way to the end. So I was definitely glad to see that it was able to get that kind of notoriety and get as many people into it as it kind of deserved when I was watching it and reading it through the daily posts that they were getting through. And yeah, no, I'm glad that a lot of people enjoyed it. Same can't necessarily be said for the Nier Automata anime production, considering that it's tough for me to go through and engage because I've only watched videos on it and I haven't played a single um, Nier game to completion, so there's not necessarily much that I can really give from that perspective that would even be remotely interesting and entertaining, but it was just one of those series that COVID definitely completely and utterly screwed over in terms of its production, so that was the only major thing that I kept hearing about it was that it was one of the shows that consistently got delayed, so I'm kind of hoping that it was able to finally cross the finish line of its own volition, but if it's still going on, like at that point, it's just, I don't know, what exactly could you do? And then probably the biggest, which was also in the top five most watched shows um, on the R anime subreddit, was Buddy Daddies. And considering the success that Spy Family was able to get was probably the reason for its genesis as a whole. And it was one of those where it's kind of the same vein where I heard nothing but positive things about it. And as it continuously went on, it was able to go through and land solidly on its feet towards its conclusion. And if I want to jump back into it for something that is going to be a, like, a, not necessarily a nice and comfy read, because or nice and comfy watch, considering how uh, much violence can be collaborated into the job of a hitman, but, you know, that's only what it can go for. But it is definitely something that I can go through and recommend, because it was something that was consistently positive and consistently brought to the forefront of everybody who was catching up with it week by week. Okay, so now for the stuff that I actually watched, which is, like, because the reason why I was wanting to focus on, like, many other things is that winter, for me, probably was the fewest amount of new shows that I ended up watching to completion in a season of anime in a long time. Because there are still, you know, th like, three to four shows that I'm going to try at least throughout every season and then see how it builds towards it, because... A show or two will start creating a stir and get me invested and interested outside of it through having no expectations for it leading the season. But then, outside of Blue Lock and My Hero's sixth season, I've only watched two quote-unquote new shows for winter. And one of them was a sequel. So it was just crazy to me how little anime I was able to watch inside of those three months, but thankfully it was able to let me catch up on a couple of other things outside of anime and inside of it as well in my backlog, but regardless, man was winter 2023 just such a slump in terms of the rest of it. But I guess for my basic thoughts about it, Blue Lock, thankfully, considering it did have a lull at the beginning of the season in the sense that the World Cup was over, I didn't necessarily know I was watching it, I was cranking that playback speed dial up as high as it could go so I could go through and watch the rest of it because A, I don't play soccer, and B, it was just something like whenever sports shows go through, it is incredibly difficult to try and latch on to anybody interesting, but I'm really kind of glad the main character was able to go through and get me invested about his growth and how the rest of the gauntlet of how these matches were played was definitely something that I wouldn't have probably been able to see anywhere else. And as the season ends with the scale and the scope getting larger and larger, then I'm kind of glad to see where they're going to be able to going with creating new teams of some of these characters which we haven't seen yet. So 
thankfully, because of the energy and just the pure spectacle of the last two matches of Blue Lock, it will be something that I will continue to watch once a second season comes out. So at the very least, it was able to accomplish that feat. Um, I was definitely glad to see that My Hero Season 6 was able to land strongly as well. I remember feeling incredibly emotional when I was reading a lot of the Vigilante stuff around Deku back when it was coming out a couple of years back, but then seeing a handful of these scenes finally animated and given the proper voices that they deserved, it was definitely something that did make me choke up at times, like realizing that these were some of the reasons and the feelings that we ended up getting into this series in the first place. Because it has been a long time since My Hero has been able to live up to any kind of expectations that it was able to build towards Season 2 and the beginning of Season 3. And there hasn't really been a lot to say outside of the films and outside of most of the arcs that have come out in Seasons 4 and 5 to basically bring anybody back into this or make it stand up to a lot of the phenomenal shonen that is coming out since My Hero ended up airing several years back. But at least you can definitely say that Season 6 was one that was able to bring it back into the limelight and legitimately make it as a contender for one of the better shonen that are airing right now. And so I'm really glad to say that it is something that I can go through and recommend. If you have fallen off a bit on any of My Hero, then I'm glad to say that this is something that has lived up to the content that it was adapting, and you should definitely go back and have the opportunity to give it another watch, regardless of the time that you're able to go through, because Season 7 is going to be tough to see when it essentially comes out, what it's going to have to do to live up to Season 6, but at the very least, the action will continue to ramp up as it reaches near its conclusion, considering that I really hope Horikoshi is keeping his health in check because there have been multiple times in many chapters where he has been essentially held off and gone through breaks to go through because a lot of the panels that he has been bringing out over the past couple of chapters of manga have been phenomenal two-page spreads and phenomenal pieces that bring you into the scale of what is going on in this world. So we are steadily reaching its conclusion and season seven is hopefully going to have the opportunity to elevate that feeling. And then besides that, we end up getting to Farmland Saga season two, or, in this, or Vinland Saga, as we now jump into the future several years after the events of the first season. And it was definitely, it's, it's still building up because uh, Vinland Saga season two is still, it's a two core. Uh, as it's going into spring 2023, it's just that the first 12 episodes, it's definitely a change of pace of all of the action and the violence and the carnage and the chaos that happened in the first 24 episodes of the first season. And what essentially happens in these first 12 episodes was basically trying to tone it down and bring it into a world that you can hopefully find that is near not necessarily resolved of all conflict but resolved of all war since you are trying to get into the headspace of Thorfinn as he has left all of this conflict and chaos and bloodshed behind and trying to grow and learn to live and learn to trust people with everyone else around him and leading into the second half of the second season it has been consistently placing powder kegs of potential explosions of violence which are probably going to happen in this second half but this it continuously 
builds and builds and builds and you believe that there is some semblance of conflict or some violent resolution that is going to that will line up towards any part of the season and there was nothing basically nothing of of that and it's such a weird transition that i've ever seen some kind of action show like revolving around the ideas and the hardship of war go into something so pacifist and so just milk toast and not bland but safe even though there is conflict and there is trauma and things that still need to go through but it's i'm still chomping at the bits for when this all boils over because when all of these pieces finally seem to clash in these future events that should unfold, it is going to be pure pandemonium, and nobody is going to be left unscarred. So the most interesting thing that I definitely went through, and even though I didn't watch a lot, but was something whose very existence basically made me flip-flop towards why or how or what's the point of this entire series, and that was Trigun Stampede. And without spoiling, it definitely justifies its existence between the manga, between the 90s anime, and what they and what Studio Orange is doing right now. Con to continue on with that, all I can say is that Trigun Stampede is going to be getting a second season, and it is going to be building off of the manga that came before it and the new ideas that they have been able to introduce into this world because studio orange did a phenomenal job it like for a cg production it, they continue to push the envelope for what a televised uh 3d cg anime production is capable to do especially in the last episode that they were able to unveil because the the stakes and the scene that is set inside of that final episode is just more than enough of deserving and kind of is worth the price of admission on its own but you will have to go through and just navigate most of Gunsmoke even though if you've seen the original Trigun have read the manga or you are going in completely blind it is something that I can almost universally recommend to anybody that's jumping into it because it is such a the only major complaint that I have about the entirety of Trigun Stampede is that there's no levity in it there's bits and pieces and kind conversation that does happen in the middle of a very chaotic and conflicting world but what was enjoyable about the original trigon anime is that you had these characters consistently bouncing off each other throwing quips balancing wit just giving some kind of levity to just the horrifically depressing scenes and events that were happening inside of the show and so you had the opportunity to go through and still find some semblance of hope and some reason for you to root for Vash and understand his view of the world but the world of Trigon Stampede is so much more bleak and harrowing to the rest of it where it doesn't give you that moment of hope or reprieve it just consistently drags you and Vash through the mud into a point where it's understandable why there is a valid counter-argument for why Vash is so pessimistic and because there is there are so many counter-arguments that the show lays in front of Vash's pacifism that makes him seem incredibly pessimistic and cowardly that you can't necessarily root for him and there were many ways 
and many times that I felt like that because there are so many points where this seems to be a even worse hellscape than the original anime was and the fact that you are still going to be pacifistic in the midst of all of this chaos and this conflict that you are trying to mull and iron over with just not fighting and not engaging it's not it doesn't work here you are not going to be making what you believe the world to be a better place with the amount of inaction that you take in the midst of all this brutality and senseless violence and so i'm really curious to see how they're going to expand on that in the second season but at the very least i am incredibly invested incredibly engaged on the new directions that this show was able to take and i cannot wait for the second season even though it means that we're still going to be pushed several years away from an inevitable uh land of the lesser season two which is literally the only negative thing i can say whenever studio orange puts out a new production okay so i guess before i jump into the new spring season i'll just point out that um Ted Lasso Season 3 has also been phenomenal. I am really enjoying uh, the couple of places that they've been able to go in this third and final season, and I just want everybody to be happy, and I want Rupert to just drown in a sea of dicks. Uh, Mandalorian Season 3 has also been good. I do like how they're jumping in a little bit to the lore and the mystery and the culture of the Mandalorian's surrounding planets. The final episode is going to be coming out this week, so I also can't wait for that. And I would definitely go recommend seeing John Wick 4 and Creed 3 at your nearest destruction, because both of those... Movies are phenomenal in their own right, although I do believe that Adonis Creed is a bit of a time traveler because we were showed Adonis as a young kid in his room in like 2001 or 2002, and he has a poster of Naruto Shippuden that is based or like at the earliest of 2007, so it's like, hold on, what's going on here? <laughs> it's, I don't know, only time will tell. But regardless, um, so for the spring anime 2023 season, this was... I was having bad feelings in the case that I thought that it was going to be very similar in the amount of shows I was going to be watching to winter, because leading into the anime charts, I was only kind of interested in about five or six shows, and there wasn't necessarily going to be enough that I would be able to go through and enjoy or give the time of day outside of Inland Saga season two, which was already bleeding into the next season. And then I went through over the past two and a half weeks to catch up on all these shows, and now I'm watching 11. <laughs> so uh, it's, I, I don't know, I, I'm kind of glad that I was able to go through, but the fact that there is still more than enough for me to go through and enjoy, like completely blew away my pessimism through the rest of the initial parts of the season. So I'm kind of glad that that was the case. Um, So for the Although for three shows that I did end up watching the first episode of, I'm not necessarily going to continue going forward. Or if they do, like, cause a ruckus and a lot of more people start talking about it later on in the season, I might go and continue to watch it. Because, I mean, um, Yabayatsu or The Dangers of My Heart, it's a really awkward start, especially with... The dynamic between the main duo and just how his negativity shapes the initial viewing of this character. It's just that also, even though I have caught up to the manga and it's the same deal as Nagatora where I shouldn't, where I don't necessarily think I need to watch it unless the adaptation is something to add. So it's not necessarily something that I'll continue to go through because I don't know, it's, it's fine, but nah. I'll see how everybody uh, continues to enjoy it. Um, Mashal, Muscles and Magic. The first episode really didn't grab me too much. Kind of the same deal. I understand 
what it is and what the general uh, comedic tone that it's uh, settled up to going for, but it definitely doesn't seem like a priority for me to watch, especially that now I'm going to be watching more than 10 shows of the season, so if there's a big battle that comes up later on the season, a la My Hero Season 1, uh, you know what, who knows? I'll, I'll see what everybody else thinks about it. A buddy of mine ended up going through and recommending Jigo Karaku, or in this case House Paradise, because I understand, because it is a manga over on Jump Plus, and it's also done by Studio Mappa. Mappa is probably the main name and the main reason why a lot of people are going to be jumping into the show, considering what Mappa brings to the table whenever they adapt something. But normally that comes to you Photobol, and whenever I think of Mappa adaptations, it's not that they're starting something, it's mostly because they're picking up the scraps of other studios that wouldn't have been able to go and complete a story because their schedules are so backed up. So it's not... Because Mappa is doing this on their own, own and starting the adaptation, the first episode was fine. It was, you know, violent and brought in a lot of gore and potential darkness and, like, leading through. It's not necessarily like a battle royale, but it's not something that's also, like, initially grabbing me either. It's just not hitting me in the same way that a lot of other pieces that MAPPA has ended up producing do. And so it's just... I, I kind of feel like it's the, maybe it'll go the way of Jujutsu Kaisen because I saw the initial reaction to JJK and I didn't watch it until after the first season was over because I didn't really give it too much, but people were clamoring and singing its praises. So maybe when these first 12 episodes are done, I'll go back and watch it. But to this point, the first, I mean, the concept is interesting, but it's definitely not strong enough for me to continually... Uh, go through and keep watching it. So, I don't know. Only time will tell. Now, for the shows that, I don't know, it, it hesitantly, I'm going to give it a couple more episodes. I mean, uh, Megumin's Konosuba spinoff, where it's um, this explosion, I think, on this beautiful world. It's, the, the Konosuba, like, long distance. It's been so long since I've read this title, because Konosuba has basically just been the way I've called it for just years and years and years. It's fine. I don't... I didn't really like... The majority of the cast, whenever they brought this up in the uh, Megama, <laughs> the Megamine Crimson Demon film, even though I really did love the film, it was a really good condensed uh, hour and a half long piece where even though all of the characters around the main cast were crazier than they were, it's it was nice to have a condensed version and it's nice for it to be spread out between one episode a week, but it's also something that isn't really making me laugh or get invested with all these other random girls that are like lining up to be the like major attraction and main set of the show so it's i don't know I'll, I'll probably it'll be the closest one for me to drop but it's just been so long since i've gotten any konosuba content where it's like yeah I'll, I'll just kind of give it a watch just to kind of see if there's anything that can satiate my desire for any new Konosuba stuff, and it's not really doing the best job, understandable, considering that it is a spinoff, but only time will tell. Hopefully it gets funnier, and we'll just have to wait and see. Ancient Magus Bride, it's been years since I've been able to go through and watch any any of it, because it's been six years since the first season came out, and so now, all this time later, I mean, we did have like one or two tiny OVAs in between, but now that it's this far in to the point where it's just all right now somebody is finally continuing to uh finish off the story which of course as it is it was a production ig no it was mostly a studio wit production with production ig as one of the producers for it but 
Wit, same deal. Their schedule is completely backed up, so they were not going to get into this for a while. And just a re it, to me, the weirdest thing about Ancient Magus Bride Season 2 is that this is done by Studio Kafka, which is just a spin-off of the production company Twin Engine, which was almost exclusively made just so they could make this anime and make the second season. So it's just, I don't, it is so weird. It is just such a weird addition to be the one to continue the story. Because outside of, like I said, they at least did the OVAs in 2021, but it's like the gaps between any major season is kind of crazy through that. But regardless, we'll just have to wait and see how the rest of it goes. The first two episodes... I, I love, like, the Gaelic mythos and mythology and the fairies and all the creatures of that kind of form of mysticism. We'll just have to wait and see how it goes, but it, I mean, at the very least, I'm still kind of interested in these characters, and I do like the world that it is built around. So, I don't know, only time will tell. Now, in terms of the two uh, lesbian undertones, overtones, however you want to call it, considering that it is one of the one of the mainstays of both of the plots of these two uh, sequel series. So we're finally getting that second season of Birdie Wing, and I'm really glad to see these gay golf girls back on the course. <laughs> the fact that she was able to, once again, take out her 48-inch driver. I don't know why she ended up pulling it out on the... And I'm glad that Aoi was able to, once again, unveil her 48-inch uh, wood considering that this was going right off the fairway, which is like, okay, there's no way she can use that driver consistently, but it's just, A, that's illegal, but B, I don't care, because if you're telling me that the most illegal thing inside of the show was the fact that she used a club who is beyond the legal length, it's just like, okay, I can let that slide in comparison to all of the Underground Mafia stuff that had happened previous, which is something that I hope ends up being more of a conflict and is more prevalent now because I don't want this entire 12-episode section to be like the last third of the previous season where it's just, oh, here is a uh, Japanese high school for golf and then we're going to do regular golf tournaments with absolutely no outside interference whatsoever. It's just, no, bring me back my RPGs and assassinations and Tokyo Unit 3 levels of mechanical underground prowess that the fact that you can have that kind of a setup in the midst of this crazy and ridiculous show so hopefully in the future we're going to be getting more you know yakuza underground mafia golf rather than just like basic high school superpower golf which is still nice but i definitely know where my priorities lie here although the other quote-unquote gay girls show which is definitely in a much more different vein of almost every part of the story is um, Gundam The Witch from Mercury Season 2. And I am incredibly invested to see how the rest of the cast is going to be reeling and moving forward from the events that happened over through Season 1. And hopefully at some point our main couple will be able to go through and get back together and overcome the traumas that they've been able to go through together. One of which has a lot more trauma than the other, as one is just recently experiencing it. But how this kind of capitalistic Gundam universe is going to be moving forward, especially with all the potential backstabbings and through lines that the rest of this story has been setting up in the first season. I'm definitely curious to see how the rest of this is going to be once again, kind of like Birdie Wing, moving away from the high school and the festival aspect and moving a little bit more into what the underworkings of all of these projects and mysterious goals that each of these characters have been wearing under 
their sleeves and how the majority of those conflicts are going to be brought forward and if they can even be resolved or if there's going to be a point of no return for a lot of these characters in the midst of a place that is very still held together by thread outside of the progenitors of war and conflict and that's probably going to be something that is going to be gone through at length through this season so only time will tell and i mean in terms of the major shonen jump stuff i mean demon slayer season two is just kind of like okay it's the same deal i don't care about the characters i don't care about the plot but if we're talking about the spectacle and the level of polish that ufotable is able to bring to every single production that they have it is going to be something that is very consistently keeping me invested in all of their productions moving forward considering that i mean it's level of polished is incredibly hard to reach through any modern shonen show nowadays and on as they continuously move forward i'm really curious to see how their next conflicts and their next set of battles are going to be going through and pushing the envelope even more but hilariously enough the one that i'm a little more excited for is dr stone season three considering that recreating human society at an accelerated speed running level is something that has always been something a little more interesting to me whenever they're bringing it to that level of detail and that amount of knowledge that they introduce into researching for their work and so after just as a prerequisite I'm pretty sure I said before, but there was a 45-minute long OAV that uh, bridges the gap between seasons two and three, so you're going to have to go watch that. But I really do enjoy the energy and the passion that a lot of these characters still go through to unearth and recreate the lost ways of the world that we had before it was petrified. And how they're able to go through the most basic things, whether it's just making bread or creating a hot air balloon, how they're able to go through and explain that series through the process and explain even why something so simple is so important to the major goals that they want to accomplish for this season honestly still gives me joy in how much passion they're able to go through and exude within this series and in a similar vein even though it's not fully a sequel season uh ranking of kings is getting a handful of episodes that are going to be mostly focusing on stories that are interlocked between a lot of things that happen in the middle of the first season of ranking of kings i don't know how much they're going to be able to do in terms of pushing the story forward after it but i mean they still are focusing on king dida and how the rest of that is moving forward as there are still a lot of unfinished pieces of business that needs to happen inside the world and what Boji is going to be doing, whether or not it's going to be looking back in the past or moving forward towards a future in which he wants to have what's best for his family and what's best for his kingdom. Okay, so now that all of the sequels are over with, the two adaptations that I did end up really enjoying and I'm going to be moving forward with through into the season. So the first one is Skip to Loafer because it was, you know, random slice of life high school show. Okay, dime a dozen what essentially is there to add towards this, but it's just the level of charm and not necessarily unique avenues that this show ends up going down but i do always like the fish out of water trope especially when there's a girl that's moving from a countryside village that only be i believe has like several hundred people inside of their thing and i'm pretty sure she was in a graduating class of like 15 so it was just an interesting fish out of water concept to at least bring that forward and give a new spin to how this character is going to be interacting with the new tokyo high school that she is going to be attending and how she 
makes that kind of first impression as somebody who is a valedictorian, but is going to have to learn to make new friends and live in this new world at a new pace that she is not used to. And so there are pieces of foreshadowing where it looks like there are going to be, you know, basic bitch teenage drama through other characters and other, like, gals who aren't necessarily going to be, like, letting her in and being much more exclusionary than inclusionary, but it was just, I, I don't know, I, for something that I had absolutely no expectations leading into this show, I think Skip Two Loafer was definitely, like, one of the more pleasant surprises that I found uh, at the beginning of this season. But the one that is very similar to that, but was one that I was really looking forward to leading in the season, is Insomniac's After School. Because I have been a huge fan of the manga for the past couple of years, and finally seeing the opportunity for it to get its own adaptation is really something that I am extremely excited about, so that more and more people will have the opportunity to experience this for the first time. And as a basics, we just have two high school kids, both not necessarily on similar spectrums to high school hierarchy, but they're both just, as the title says, insomniacs. They just both, for different reasons, can't fall asleep and still find solace and comfort once they're able to finally find somebody that understands their problems and what exactly they're going through. And as they move forward and as that relationship and that friendship deepens, they have more opportunities to bring more and more people into their circle and bring more and more opportunities for the rest of them to find joy and the simpler things and the new hobbies that they go through and experience inside of that work. So if there's any major show that I can definitely recommend that isn't a sequel that is coming out this season. Insomniacs After School is definitely the one that I would recommend as probably my second favorite show of the season. And as a lot of people online have been figuring out for the first time, definitely the show that I would recommend as probably the best opening, I say episode, but it's more like a short film considering that it was an hour and 20 minutes long. Oshinoko has definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, that everybody was going towards leading into the season. Because I read the first two chapters of this when they came out years and years ago. And I the only reason I did so was because uh, Oshinoko is written by the same guy, Aka Akasaka, who did uh, Kaguya-sama Loves War. And I really did enjoy that manga, but this one in particular, he's only writing. He's got... Um, another person who does the illustrations, and they were the manga behind Scum's Wish, and which, is, which is one of the reasons why I found it very similar, but that's beside the point. The first two chapters of Oshinoko are... It was fucking bonkers, to say the least, because I, did, I had no idea what the reason behind this entire story was, what it was leading into, why it exists, what essentially Akka was going to be able to talk about, and how he brings that forward into the modern day as he does with his previous works. But basically, the first hour and 20 minutes of Oshinoko covers almost the entire volume of the first manga, which to be fair was also a good idea based on what content they're able to cover in that amount of time, and it makes a much stronger impression when you're able to go through and have this entire prologue be set up to give you what the show is going to be about and why this is the most important piece that is going to act as a motivation for the characters in the show. And at the very least, all I can say is that Oshinoko is, <laughs> as it begins as a idol manga, and 
an idol show, which is something that is going to immediately turn people off, which is definitely understandable, but it doesn't necessarily focus on the idol industry as a whole, but basically almost every other production industry inside of Japan or even worldwide, considering that Akka is incredibly adept at taking any form of like modern technology, modern entertainment, or any production cycle or piece and not only being able to shed light on it, but give the reasons why this kind of a shitty environment has been built up over decades and decades and decades of quote-unquote mismanagement, or why it's so dark and depressing and drab, as it, even though there, there is so much money and there is so much opportunity and there are so many creative avenues for this show to be moved forward. And so that's the promise that I'm really curious to see how he continues to adapt and build upon these ideas, considering that, like... I, I want I want to, to say more. I really want to give you a synopsis or just give you a reason as a jumping off point to be like, okay, here's the basic story structure. Is there, is there a reason for me to get invested in this? And I really, I really want to say what it's about. But the only thing that I can is what I've previously gone through is that the genesis of the idea behind this is going to be revolving around the shittier side of different production cycles and entertainment industries, mostly in Japan, but also across the world. And how the story was able to engage with that inside of its first episode and send up and set up the major conflicts that are going to be built upon throughout the rest of this story is something that you should go in with as little information as possible. And it is something that I can wholeheartedly recommend that it will not disappoint you. Oh, that was quite a bit. I'm, I'm kind of glad that at least this season, it's got a lot more than I was initially expecting leading into since how uh, barren the previous season was. Because even if I did watch Tomochan and Nier Automata, the, the, or even Buddy Daddies, there wouldn't necessarily have been too much for me to stack on or even remember too much of it as a season. But now knowing what I'm heading into over the next three months, it at least gives me a reason to be excited about the shows that are leading up, and especially the films and the different pieces and projects that are going to be announced and leading through the rest of their production over what is looking to be an incredibly diverse and exciting season. So, cheers. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.